0: All right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of What's What VR. We have two guests with us today from McMaine's Children's Development Center. We have Ann and Lindy. How are you guys?
1: Doing good.
0: Good to hear. Good to hear. It's uh, to date ourselves. It's Monday, and uh, we've got seems like the first bit of hot weather that's forming. We're trying to uh, try to get used to that again. So,
1: Mike. Yeah. <laughs> nice from so, there to summer you know no spring
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting I'd I'd mentioned we'd had the superintendent from EBR on there was somebody's like oh I'm looking forward to the heat And I'm like I'll call you in August I'll let you know yeah, you know how that yeah, works right, yeah so so and tell us a uh, little bit let's go each person and for anybody who doesn't know who are you what do you do and why don't you give us the short version for the McMaines Children's Development Center
1: Well, I am the executive director there. I've been with McMeans Children's Developmental Center 33 years and started as a social worker there and then over the last four years became executive director. And so we are a nonprofit pediatric clinic that we treat children birth to 18 who have any kind of developmental delays or disabilities. So we provide uh, physical, occupational, speech and language, and educational therapy to help them um, with that, whatever disability there may be. So it can be autism, cerebral palsy, learning disabilities, ADHD, or, or just developmental delays. So we see all kids, except all insurances, except all uh, Medicaid. Um, so the wide gamut.
0: There we go. Sounds like there's a lot going on.
1: We do. We do. And, and lots of family programs, too.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll come to that. So, Lindy, tell us uh, what you do over there.
2: Yeah, I am the uh, director of development as a nonprofit. We do, you know, over 50 percent of our budget comes from donors and foundations. So that is what I focus on. uh, Donor engagement, making sure that we are raising the funds we need to do the work that the therapists and staff are are doing here. Um, So, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's what I do.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And in disclosure, we pulled you into the show literally last minute, so yes. if anybody <laughs> gonna, you had no prep time for this. You
2: you <laughs> from one song. side,
0: one side of the camera to the other. So, <laughs> because somebody else wouldn't join in, we'll leave them anonymous. So, <laughs> so yeah. And tell me what you know. What in, at the core? You know, thirty-three years. You know, that is. There's got to be some meaning there. People don't sit, you know, in some place they don't like for thirty-three years.
1: You're absolutely right. Um, I love the center. I have pretty much started here right out of uh, grad school. And it has always been a wonderful place to me because one, I could bring my background in special education and social work. So I was able to bring that together to be able to be a social worker here for many, many years. But it is a wonderful, it's just a family type business. We bring together our therapists, our our uh, funding, our development department that works on the funding, our admin side, our billing side, everybody comes together and really rolls up their sleeves and just works together. Very passionate about the families that we treat and the children and I just could not ask for a better place. So it's it's very much a part of me.
0: That sounds like it, 33 years Lindy, you've been what thirty-one, right?
1: Yes,
2: 31 yes. Uh, I actually started about two weeks before we shut down with the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So my first year here was um, kind of a baptism by virus, <laughs> I, I guess. guess. <laughs> um, trying to um, navigate a new job uh, with this organization during that, but um, and I just moved back here. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm just recently relocated back to Baton Rouge after being gone for 10 years. And so um, what I, you know, I've only been here for a year, but Anne's very much right. Like it's definitely all hands on deck, which is a really nice place to be when you are doing something for a community, to have a community feel with inside the building, Um, to know that everyone who shows up every single day is doing everything they can to, you know, put the mission of the center first, um, and everything that we do.
0: Well, you said one year, I think the rule they're letting everybody is, if you did a COVID year, it counts like dog years, but like 10. So you get 10 years. It feels
2: like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. It's been a year.
0: <laughs> Especially, I can imagine in that, you know, in the fundraising realm, you know, right now that's,
2: yeah, that's, not, the, that's
0: hard enough work as it is. Right. You know, just yeah, to begin
2: fundraising, with. fundraising during, uh, a pandemic that is affecting people differently has definitely been, um, a challenge because, you know, our donors are, are important to us and we want to respect our donors and they're going through everything that we're going through. No one's, no one's immune to what's been going on. Um, and so finding ways to navigate that has been a a learn. I mean, not just for us, for all nonprofits. How do you navigate this new world of fundraising when there is so much um, uncertainty in people's health and pocketbooks and and jobs? And there's a lot of insecurity happening. And so we wanna make sure that our center is secure while also respecting the fact that our donors might have some insecurities of their own.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's, I used to not, I say it, you know, it used to be, you know, the only, not only, but the majority was if you needed to raise money, you know, you'd went and put a golf tournament on or you went and ran a 5k, you know, and that's, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, you know, donate, they give, and that's extremely important, but also a lot of that, I think it is I don't want to say not by any means disguised, but it's like you might have a company that says, you know, hey, we'll donate, you know, to this group because you've got a four-man golf tournament. Y'all go to the golf tournament and y'all try to draw up some business while you're there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. wrapped. There's some business. Everybody's, you know, there's some people there's true just philanthropic, you know, giving. And then there's and hey, we'll take it all, right? You know, absolutely. Whatever it helps, but now we've lost you know, some of those abilities, I think we're getting them back. I think, you know, literally it was not even a month ago. People were still saying when I was talking to them on the show, they'd be like, I don't know when it's going to be now. They're like, well, we're planning for this, like it's yeah. things are moving again. And so I think that's going to be good, but it's, it's hard, but I think it's also, we're getting through it. You know, as mm-hmm. my grandmother always told me, you know, this too shall pass. And yeah, I love that but we've learned, right. We've all learned, you know, like there are other ways we're on zoom. I mean, we're, we're talking on zoom right now. I've done zoom for five years, you know, and it used to be, I could never talk to anybody in Baton Rouge on zoom. It was always people overseas out of, you know, other business things. Now it's nothing to jump on a zoom call, you know, to be able to have that interaction, to be able to find ways to, Hey, we can raise money online. There's different ways that we can do this. I can, you know, I can reach for other people. I think, Some people got really mad, but I'm like, there are some good things that have come out of this. I think at the end of the day.
2: For the center, one of the things that we were able to do was implement telehealth, which was never um, something that we did before. So, you know, yeah, you don't want to talk about silver linings with something that's so terrible, but you do learn lessons as you kind of go through it. And um, the ability of our therapists to very quickly and staff to very quickly go from being 100% in person to telehealth, we reopened the center in May, May, yeah, May 16th. and we still have some clients who, just for their own comfort and safety, prefer to remain in telehealth. So that's been something that we've been able to do um, throughout you know, throughout this time period, which has been really good for our. I think,
0: I think that's a testament to you know you know and people like you you know these directors these leaders that are pointing things out, but then also to take all the way down to that, you know, lower, you know, grass boots on the ground working. If you would have said, you know, if you would have gone two years or not gone through a pandemic and said, Hey, we're going to roll out telehealth. It would have been this. All right, let's get a committee together. Let's find the people that we need to do. Let's research the vendor. Let's put it together. We can do it for 2022 or 2023. You know, it turns into one of those bigger things, but organizations have just learned like, no, we're just going to figure it out. Yeah. You know, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, the turnaround time on that, we wrote the policy, Kim, our, our clinical and operations director, and myself, within two weeks, so that wow. it was ready to move that quickly and had sent people home, which was pretty exciting. We had some equipment. We were in a better place at that point to be able to get people set up at their houses, which which for us was huge. To be able to make those, to be able to get remote uh, PC and, and get those things set up on computers and with the people to be able to do what we all need it to do. And you're right. If, if, you know, several years ago, we've talked off and on about it. Like, how would that be? Could we do it? And obviously with kids in person, one-on-one is much better, but it's still allowed being able to give something and to work with them on being able to get their therapy you know, from what they needed
2: and give them a sense of consistency in a True. world that's very not consistent right now. Yeah. A lot of these, yes. a lot of these kids, you know, therapy is, is just part of their routine on um, the way that anything else would be. So to lose that could, was very, um, could have been for very, for a lot of families, yeah. very um, disruptive. And so to be able to, to, to bring therapy back during the shutdown, was important i think not just for the staff but for the for the kids and the families that we service. I
0: was going to say with i would think with kids you know in this therapy they the child's going to therapy and i think we all know that but the child may not necessarily connect the dots that they're going to therapy they just know that they've got this friend you know that they go to misters you know so and so or mister so and so and then all of a sudden that stops it's like why yeah. you know what happened and then Kids are wondering, you know, where things are, or, you know, why did this happen? So to be able to be that quick and move, I think says a, a lot, like I said, from a leadership standpoint, but then also the people, boots on the ground that are going, okay, we'll figure it out. You yeah. know, and how you do can we do only
1: this? lead if people will walk, walk with you to get it done? So, yeah. you know, that, that really does make a big difference when people are looking and figuring out, we can do this and putting in. Because you know, it took it took some time for the therapist getting um, activities, and we had figuring out online resources and making sure that we had um, the things in place that made good quality therapy.
0: Yeah, I told somebody the other day we jumped on Zoom, and they were trying to share their screen or like turn their video camera on. I finally, I just had to, I was like, look, you've had a year of this. You should know this by now already. You don't get a pass. And, you know, the, you know, last March and April was okay to explain. I was like, but no, we're a year in, you should know all of this. But it, what I think it's done from a, it shows, I don't want to by any means, you know, kind of separate, you know, the strong and the weak, you know, businesses, but there is a difference. And it's, I believe it's the people, it's the leaders at the top, giving the people, you know, the boots on the ground, the ability just to go figure it out. Like to say like, we need, you know, hey, we're going to go write the policy, but the policy doesn't provide the therapy. The policy doesn't, you know, do the work. It doesn't actually make it. You've said, we're not, we're going to make a decision. We're going to stay open. You know, this is how we're going to do it. Let me dot the I's, cross the T's, let's put, you know, as I said, the policy is the sandbox, you know, this is the parameters in which you're gonna operate in. I don't know how you're gonna do it, but go do it and come back and let me know how that works out for you. so, so with that, what is some of the, you know, you've got some current programming that they've been able to do over, you know, remote, and then you've got some new things coming, is that right? Or I don't know if I wanna say new, but just the way that it's kind of being done
1: yeah well a lot of our things have gone back to in-person um, many mm-hmm. of our families are comfortable coming back into the clinic and so as time has been going on the numbers have increased with that uh, we so the the one-on-one therapy is happening in person but as lindy said we have a few families who still prefer the virtual and that's fine or might be coming in For some, if they're getting more than one therapy, they may be coming into the clinic for one therapy and then have chosen to do virtual on the other. So we've worked with them to make sure that they feel safe and are comfortable. We put certainly some protocol in place of um, which our families have worked very well with us. And it's simply by having a carpool drop off instead of coming into the waiting room so that we can limit the number of people that are within the building. So all of those kind of things have really helped. Because for a lot of our children who are medically fragile, you know, who have some really significant things going on, you don't want them to get COVID. I mean, I don't want anybody to get it. But for some of them, that can be very life-threatening. And so we have gone above and beyond to make sure that our families and the kids we treat, um, our staff, that everybody has remained as safe as possible.
0: It's funny you mentioned the parents and the cars and the carpool and getting. I've talked to a lot of Summer camps lately—that's a big thing. People are, yes. and uh, a lot of different businesses and a lot of summer camps are all saying, "We're going to keep that policy. Parents yeah. are staying in the car, send the child in. Yeah. We're going pandemic, no pandemic. That's de facto standard at this point. It just works better, yeah. you know, that way. <laughs> so
1: it does. Now summer, we're looking to do our Capable Arts Camp. So we are gonna have that, I believe it's June 22nd, the week of June 22nd, that we'll be sending out um, the uh, enrollment forms. And that's open to any child with a disability and then also their brothers and sisters. So we try to bring Mm. all kids together that are six and up and that they participate, it's a week long camp. And we bring in some of the community artists they will come and we have a creative movement because boys don't like the, the term dance class in there But the creative, creative movement. movement. we have uh music we also have pottery um multimedia and then we'll also do some painting so th- there'll be like five different artists that will then uh come up with different things theme- well we have one theme and they come up with the art activities to go with that and then at the end, we have a wonderful program where all the art is put on display and then there's a performance that they do you know, for their families and for the community, whoever comes out for it. So that's a lot of fun. Last year, we did do that virtually, which um, was fun. It was a little different. It was a challenge, <laughs> but we got it. And then um, this year, we we will probably do a, maybe not 60 kids because that's usually our capacity. We may stay at 40 just to have fewer kids to a group. Uh, but we will be looking at that. We also do uh, educational program in the summer. We do one-on-one educational therapy throughout the year, um, but usually during the summer, we try to do maybe two two kids in a group or individual, just depending on what they need. But we have, what's called summer steps. So we'll bring that back this summer as well. That's
0: See, that's everybody's talking. It's, it's all coming back. You know, it's things that's, are unfolding. Yeah. It's, It's it's interesting. It's exciting to see that it's happening. But, you know, like I said, just a month ago, you didn't even think that.
1: No, no. And I think we're going to be able to do our no such thing as impossible bike event, too. Uh, We have an adapted bike program for the children. And we're able to raise money and get bikes into the hands of a lot of the kids because the bikes, the adapted bike. It's a lot of times it's three wheels. It's it's adapted for them, built for them. And the bikes can run anywhere from 3000 all the way up to 6000 And that's with a discount that we get from the company. So they're pretty expensive. Yeah. But I tell you, when you watch those kids on those bikes, just riding, <laughs> so just having the best time, um, it, it's wonderful. It's just, you know, like you say, every it's a rite of passage. Every child should be able to ride a bike in some way, shape, or form. And there's different ways to be accessible with it. Whether it's the brakes um, where the parent can run behind and hold with a steering in the back, so the child is still able to participate, but the parent is also helping the guy or the brother or sister um, to hold off and squeeze the brake, you know, and help them go if they need to, um, all the way to a much more independent where the child doesn't need the help, but just needs the balance that's there for them. Right. And that's so we something. do a bike event with that that uh, raises money which is going to come up on May 16th over at Point Marie. And that's just wonderful. Um, it's
2: just nice to get, I mean, like the whole mission of the center in general is sort of like a holistic approach to how the therapy is done so that kids, regardless of their diagnosis, regardless of their very financial status, they can have the access to be kids. Right. Yeah. So like, what does occupational therapy look for a child whose occupation is to be a child? So, right. you know, what does that look like? And uh, most of our pro all of our programming kind of ties into that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the capable play, which I was really bummed. I didn't get to see in person. I mean, I saw it on virtual, but, you know, I went to summer camp with oh, my siblings, capable arts, right. arts yes. excuse me. Cause we have a kid. Yeah, play play. Um, <laughs> like I went to summer camp with my siblings and, a lot of summer camps that gear towards kids with physical or developmental disabilities, they're separate from kids who are probably mm-hmm. neurotypical or don't have any other diagnoses. So this is a really special summer camp where our clients or anyone can, can experience summer camp with their siblings, which is what summer camp is for a lot of people, experiencing mm-hmm. it with their siblings. And, you know, the bike program... You know you're teaching your kids to bike with their siblings and so this way a child who has a diagnosis that maybe they can't use your standard bike that you can get from you know walmart or capital you know city or wherever Mm -hmm. um they can still be a part of the family in in these very um basic childhood rites of passage summer camp, riding a bike um we do it
0: we did the bikes this summer with I've i've got a 12 year old daughter and eight-year-old uh, twin boys, and it was it was it was it was amazing. you're I'm listening to you tell me about the bike you could be behind. I'm I was having to run, you know, mm-hmm. from just down the sidewalk and then back, and but but killed me. But I think yeah. what what the, what the middle picture that's coming is is that is you know you said kind of the rite of passage, you know, that they've got to be able to do it. And I think. You know, and I don't know this, this is just talking off the top of my head, but I can imagine, you know, if you're that sibling who, you know, maybe can't necessarily do it, you know, the typical or what we think is typical, you know, the right way that maybe that gets them a little upset, you know, and they're kind of down and out or they're left off to the side while these other things, you know, that are happening and that can spiral Right. You know, like if it's one thing, you know, well, I couldn't do the bikes, you know, everybody's riding a bike, but me, you know, or nobody taught me how to ride, you know, that seems like it, it's bad, but it's, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's a bike, but you know, that compounds into, well, it's just one more thing, you know, that I'm not able to necessarily maybe do that can change someone's complete mindset and outlook on things.
2: Well, in the slip of the tongue, we have a program called capable play and, um, the program is like a, it's a six weeks, six week long program where, for kids who have more severe multiple diagnoses. So like these are the kids who maybe five or six years ago, um, no one knew how to engage them because maybe they don't talk. Maybe they don't, they don't have the ability to move parts of their bodies in some way. So this is a program that uses really simple technology to adapt, um, things around the house so that these kids who would otherwise not be able to participate can participate. And that's not just in like, you know, um, a family game night, but also, you know, I have two kids, I have a four and a half year old, he, he has chores, right? And every kid should have chores and have responsibilities. So through the capable play program, we can adapt a water pit with an adaptable button So that the child can, maybe they can just turn their head. And so there's a switch up here, or maybe they can just move their feet. And so there's a switch by their feet. And all of a sudden they can turn on the water pick, and now they can water the plants around the house. And now they have a responsibility. Mm. So, cause what you were saying is it's not just being, you know, it's not just the capability of doing something that can get you down. It's it's if someone doesn't think you can. And so it's your Mm. mental health too. It's not just the physical health that, I mean, that's part of the reason why I wanted to work here. It's, it's not just the physical health that the therapy and programming addresses. It's the mental health of a child. How much better yes. do you feel about yourself that you can participate um, in a family game night
1: that you otherwise would not have been able to participate in? Right. Well, no, and with, with technology now, technology, whereas before we could only go to a certain level with kids. And so a lot of times it helped, they got stuck with where they were. Now with technology, I mean, there are so many different kinds of switches that if a child's strength is that they can use their puff switch, we have puff switches. If they can nod their head, we have a switch that can do that. They can use their foot, they can use their hand. There's so many different kinds that now we can take children as far as they can go to where we reach their potential instead of having to stop because there wasn't anything left to be able to bring them yeah. to that independence. I
0: You know, it's funny You mentioned, I used to say, you know, that my brother, um, He he's since passed, unfortunately, but beforehand, you know, one of the biggest things that I looked at that was more of a problem, you know, it was bigger than the problem. He had some disabilities, you know, but the problem was that I used to say is that, That he knew he had the disability, you know, and that to me was what was worse almost. It was, you know, it's like, you know, like he knew just enough to know, you know, kind of where things and where things were a little bit different. And so, and sometimes, you know, depending on the people that he hung out with or who he was around at the time, you know, over like where he spent his time and the people he spent his time around it would turn into either he knew that he had that disability and it was a problem or it was like, it was like challenge accepted. You know what I mean? Kind of, you know, like one or the other, and it all depends. And I bring that up just to go all the way back to where we were talking in the beginning, that some of these kids, that therapist that's helping them, you know, is a big role to where, you know, that if you pulled them out of that environment to where maybe now they're not in the challenge accepted and I'm going to find a way to do this. It's more the defeated, you know, the body posture changes, you know, those types of things.
2: Kids are very, um, kids can go with the flow very easily. You give a kid a challenge, most kids are going to, you know, are up to it. And so it's up to us as, you know, the responsible people in the room as the adults, Mm -hmm. as the, um, Parents as the caregivers to make sure that uh, they are given the the chance to not just be challenged, but to to give them the tools they need to succeed. Um, to do that, and not to just say, "Oh, well, because of because of your diagnosis, you you can't do this." No, it's our responsibility as society, as McMaines, as as parents and caregivers to say, "Okay, because of your diagnosis, this is what." the parameters are that we need to help you with. So let's, let's help you with that and see what you can do on your own.
0: And what, and I'm not necessarily derail us, but you know, and walk me through, or what I'm afraid of is I don't want someone watching, you know, or listening to the you know show here and going, I think what we do is when we miss, when we don't have information in our mind, we fill it with something. And I don't want someone thinking that, well, my child doesn't have a disability that's that bad. So I don't need to make the phone call or it's, you know, really bad. You know, can they even help? So I just don't want to leave that gap. So if you could just what is it like if we broke it down and said, what do you see most of the time in there? What are some of those development disabilities? Some of those where I want someone if they hear it to go. Check. Okay. That's for me. I need to put this on the list. Yeah. I don't want them just to assume.
1: So at the center, we see children, probably 50% of the kids we see have developmental dis- um, delays. So that's your children who, as they're growing, and they're reaching milestones, they might be a little bit delayed, a little uncoordinated, a little behind on the way they're saying uh, their sounds. They may be struggling with, you know, you look at them and go, oh, he hadn't learned to skip yet. He's having problems with that. We have, like I say, 50%. A lot of times with a little help of therapy, those kids outgrow it. And we'll move forward from that. Then we have a little bit smaller numbers who come through with cerebral palsy. And of course, we know cerebral palsy as with autism and um, even learning there, it varies on a continuum. There's still some people that are very mild. With these things all the way to people who are very, very severe. Mm-hmm. And so the center addresses all of that. We have children who may be struggling with how to pronounce the sound of an R when they're saying there are sound in words to children who do have a feeding tube or have a wheelchair who are much more severely involved. They can still be very smart kids though, because physical does not mean that intellectually they're impacted. It just means they also are physically impacted. So each child is very, we look at them and they're very individual. So then we look for what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses and using those strengths to figure out how to address those weaknesses. And I would say if the
2: parents listening to this and they have a question, that's, that's why McMains is here. That's why we have a social worker. So like I, my child came here for speech articulation. I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what was wrong. And so McMains was there to help me and he did six months of therapy and we're taking a break because he hit milestones. And now we're gonna see if he hits the milestones that he needs to hit. So, you know, if someone's listening, they're saying, well, I don't know. Well, that's, that's why you come to McMains because it is a holistic approach. The social worker, we can evaluate the child and, oh, we think there's something going on in speech. Well, let's do a speech evaluation. And the speech evaluator, uh, the speech pathologist might say, you know, I see something happening that the occupational therapist might want to take a look at. Well, we don't have to send that child to another location we can send that child down the hallway to the occupational therapist to be evaluated. So, or the, or the physical therapist or the educational therapist. So, you know, if someone's out there saying, I think something needs to be addressed, that's the all you have to think. There's yeah. no, there's no, um, I need it to be this bad to, to come right. to
1: and we And we are very much a referral source. We have families who call they say my child's struggling with reading and I don't know what's wrong but I think there's something that's off and that's where our social work department our patient care coordinator and our social worker are able to talk to the parent and help them connect to what we offer here at the center but also what's in the community because there may be something uh, especially through the school system where you can say talk to your teacher because the school system does have testing as well they can also do 504 accommodations, they can do you know, whatever is needed for that child to succeed, we're also able to help. I actually described, this is, I haven't told this
2: to Ann yet, but I actually mm-hmm. described McMaines as, you know, in Miracle 34th Street, how Macy's sends people to Gimbel's and other places if they don't have the toy because mm-hmm. they just want the kid to get the toy for <laughs> Christmas. Oh, I mean, we, we do that, like if we, don't, if we can't help that child here, that doesn't mean that the child is not our responsibility. We will help find that child, the resources that they need to succeed, whether it's here or somewhere else within the community. And we service right now we service over 14 14 parishes. So wow. we it's not just Baton Rouge. It's 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 a large part of Louisiana that we are servicing.
0: The the inner marketer, you know, in me is not that this is the marketing, you know, campaign but like it's I'm hearing you talk about this and I wanted, you know, it's almost like I can see it in my head where it's like, we need parents to like, if you think, you know, he, she, you know, needs some help, you know, stop Googling it, you know, just come yeah, like, in. don't the do this.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: This is too many times, you know, it's, we're not talking, you know, diseases and sickness and all that stuff, but too many times it's just probably, I'm sure it's the same way, you know, yeah. that people start, you know, it's like, you know, what about this? And you start Googling, you're reading something in which you didn't realize you're reading an article that's, you know, 10 years old, or it's written yeah. by somebody yeah. who doesn't even know what they're talking about. It's right. like, why? I, I, I tell a lot of people this. I'm like, why are you going to spend hours upon hours at night trying to research something that you could probably get like a an good answer in like 20 minutes on a phone call in an hour appointment somewhere? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you doing this to Do Yeah. If I could go read every surgical book, you know that there is, you know, over the next two or three weeks, but you are not going to let me do surgery.
2: You're just (laughs) not going to do it, right?
0: So why we do this to ourselves? Like I'm going to research it, I'll figure it out, I'll find something. There's a YouTube video. It's like, no, let's just stop googling it. If you're not sure, or if you just think there might be something, you know, make a phone call. Mm -hmm. So I think that's. That's what I would say for anybody. No, I I agree with
1: you. Absolutely. And And we do work to where it's not just, I encourage strongly that when someone calls that the social worker, the patient care coordinator who is speaking to that parent, that it's not just, no, we don't do that to really explore with them and see, because sometimes you only know one part of the question. You really don't know what all you're looking for, but you just know you've got this one thing, you like i said seeing the reading or seeing something else that's going on with your child maybe they're when they're writing and they're putting all their paperwork it, it's totally disorganized and they don't organize their math problems and they're not getting and how do you figure out what that is
0: i literally have it written on a business card that says you don't know what you don't know
2: mm-hmm. Right.
0: So stop trying to figure it out. You know, we're in this self-diagnosing world that we all want to, yeah. you know, figure it out and, you know, but it's let the professionals do what they do. And I think you guys do a great job of it. And I don't know what else to say. I think that's, uh, well,
1: thank you guys you. have nailed it. We try. <laughs> we try. So,
0: well, look, I tell everybody there's always more important things to do than to sit here and talk to me, but I appreciate y'all taking some time out of the day to come Fill us in and, us. you know, answer some questions and, you know, hopefully we can have you back and tell us more what's going on with some of these events, you know, come together, mm-hmm. you know, let me know. We'll have you back on. We'll talk about it. We'll make it a little bit okay. easier, raise some money, hopefully, you know, mm-hmm. find some ways, reach some people that are, you know, wanting to help because I think, I think it's been hard for the nonprofits, but I think we're going to come back and I think what people are going to, if anything, because, I'm a serial entrepreneur to a fault. As I describe myself, I'm wired to be an optimist. The sun will come out and people, if anything, with nonprofit organizations, they're going to realize how much they've actually done for us in the community when they never realized it before. And I think as the sun comes back out, we'll start seeing more people that are willing to go, you know, hey, I really missed that service or I didn't realize a thing. You know, mental health was very underplayed, you know, and now people are really starting to understand it and the things that you guys are doing to where it's not just, oh, they'll get it. You know, it's like, no, don't just say they'll get it or they'll grow out of it or don't keep Googling it. Make a simple phone call, you know, go to the website, get your information, you know, fill it out. Super easy. We'll put some links in the show notes for everybody, phone numbers. Sounds good. (laughs) I appreciate you guys sticking around.
1: Very, very much. Bye-bye.